Okay. Well, this morning we're continuing on in our study of holiness. J.C. Ryle's book was interesting. I was thinking something about my topic this past week. And, uh, of course, these days uh, is the day when there's an overload of conversations about football. And some of you might not say it's an overload. This is great. You know, this is next to heaven, all this uh, discussion and viewing. Others, not so much. Um, But at any rate, it's interesting. Carol had mentioned to me this week after we heard some conversation on TV, uh, talking football, the terminology they were using uh, is warfare terminology. You know, the battles that are going on and one seeking dominance over the other, looking for the victory and strategies that are being laid out. And all that's just in between the universities trying to get the right coach for their team. Uh, You haven't even talked about uh, what goes on the field itself, but uh, same is true when they're out on the football field. Uh, that kind of conflict and warfare terminology, well, for us as Christians, um, most likely we won't be involved in that kind of battle on the gridiron or between universities and coaches, but we are involved in a very different conflict, but one that's very real that we have to face. And... uh, We see that conflict in J.C. Ryle's quote there on the the screen that was before class, but also in the scripture passages, fight the good fight of faith, and many other places throughout the scriptures where conflict terminology is used. And so for us to be involved in a conflict, in this conflict uh, for holiness and living out holiness, shouldn't be a surprise to us. In fact, Peter warns the people he writes to, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange has overtaken you. So I'm hoping that this lesson that we go through today will help us um, be reawakened if we need reawakening to the reality of the conflict that we are in as Christians And a very real conflict it is. But it's a and it's a conflict that we're looking forward to that that works out in us as we live in this world, uh, lives that are marked by, as Paul wrote in Ephesians, true righteousness and holiness. Uh, That's the goal that God is working us toward. So we participate in this battle, this conflict, because Jesus led the way into the battle. And this is something that we can rejoice in as as well. Uh, It's a fight that our Lord Jesus fought himself, not, of course, to acquire or to preserve his own holiness, but because he is and always has been holy. Um, any attribute of God that Jesus exercised in accomplishing and working out our salvation 
truly flowed out of his holiness. Let me share what that means with a quote from Arthur W. Pink's book on the attributes of God, and not his quote, but one by J. Howe that he included in his book. This, or holiness, may be said to be a transcendental attribute that, as it were, runs through the rest, the rest of his attributes, and casts luster upon them. It's an attribute of attributes. Thus we read of the beauty of the Lord, which is none other than the beauty of holiness. So we rejoice that the God is a holy God, has always been holy, and the outworking of all of his other attributes are, are ruled by his holiness. And so certainly we can trust in him and what he is doing, that in all that he is doing, he is holy, and all his actions are holy. So Jesus fought that fight on our behalf, a fight that we couldn't fight. We didn't even desire to fight but even rather opposed him as he was fighting that fight. When, he was, when was he involved in that conflict? Well, we're going to be hearing more of it in these coming weeks as we approach Christmas. Certainly in his incarnation, he entered the fray. He came onto the field and entered the conflict. He, he did, did this of his own accord, could have stayed, but the Father had commissioned him to go onto the field of battle. And he entered the fray, the conflict in his incarnation. And right from his birth, people stood in opposition to him and Satan as well. Matthew 2.16, Herod himself, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that re- region who were two years old and or under. Man's own folly ruins his life. That's what Herod was following. The folly of his mind. It was unreasonable for him to pursue such action and to oppose the king of kings, the birth of the king of kings. The man's own folly will ruin his life. That's what he did. Jesus was in the conflict in his righteous life as he lived that out. So many scripture passages, I don't have one here for you. You know it. Read the Gospels and see the ongoing conflict as you read through the scriptures in your daily reading. Let that be an alert to you as you see those passages and the conflict that Jesus was facing from people or Satan and demons. He's involved in the conflict. He's fighting the fight. He didn't come into the world and, hey, just walk through the pretty, pretty roses, the beauty of humanity. There was beauty that he saw there. He experienced with human beings at times. But uh, he didn't lose sight of the fact that he was involved in a very real conflict as he lived out his mission from the Father. The religious leaders saw him uh, as, as someone threatening their position, and they sought to kill him. Satan as well, the temptations in the wilderness, anything he could do to turn him out of the way, 
and to keep him from living out his purpose for which he came. Well, the conflict continued even in the events prior to the cross and then on the cross in the garden. A very real conflict that was taking place in his humanity there um, and struggling in that time of prayer, wrestling, but coming to the conclusion, not my will, but thine be done, committed to the purpose that the Father had sent him to do, even with the struggle that he was facing at that time in the garden or even at his trial, the opposition from human beings there the ridicule, the the physical beatings that he endured, the conflict was very, very real for him. And uh, the the pressures to do that which would have led him out of the way that was planned for him to go, and even on the cross itself, still the, the accusations, the insults that were hurled at him from people down on the ground and even those next to him uh, on the cross trying to get him to, to turn away. Uh, you know, you, you healed others, you delivered others. Deliver us now. Would have been easy. Why not? There was a very real conflict going on there that Jesus was fighting for the glory of God and for us. But also, the conflict, there was a time of victory. We see it, his resurrection and ascension. We see him in victory on the earth and then ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, the throne of God. So he fought the fight that we couldn't fight and won the victory that we couldn't win on our own. Titus 2.14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and what? To purify to himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. We couldn't accomplish the work. We couldn't do it. We couldn't produce the holiness positionally or even practically on our own. Jesus was doing that on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, our union with him, we might become the righteousness of God. It had to be done. We needed one to run the race before us. One that would lead in in the conflict and go before us. And Jesus did that so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So by faith in Jesus Christ, we're declared righteous. In our union with him, we obtain our holiness. But just as Jesus' fight was real, so the fight for the expression of holiness that we have in our union with Jesus Christ is also real. And I'm preaching to the choir here. (laughs) You know, I told Carol, I'm not going to be telling these people anything new this morning. Uh, They know the conflict is very real. So take this as a reminder or an an exhortation for us to, yeah, yeah, amen. It's real, and we're in it, and we're going to continue to be in it. Well, uh, Ryle goes on. He says, we must fight to live holy lives. He says, true Christianity is a fight. We aren't fighting to acquire holiness, but we are fighting to glorify God 
and living out our new holy nature that we acquired by faith in Jesus Christ. Doing that daily will be a fight. Ryle writes, true Christianity is a fight. The true Christian is called to be a soldier and must behave as such from the day of his conversion to the day of his death. He's not meant to live a life of religious ease, indolence, and security. He must never imagine for a moment that he can sleep and doze along the way to heaven like one traveling in an easy carriage. That simply is not what we're called to in our lives as Christians. I'm not discounting all the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the conflict. All I'm trying to do is help us to be reminded that the conflict is there and very real for us. We're not called as Christians to a life of ease. We shouldn't be surprised, as it said, the verse I quoted earlier, that what's going on here? I didn't sign up for this. If that's our thinking, our mindset, that we weren't prepared at the beginning. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's interesting as you're speaking the different thoughts that come to your mind. Uh, I like watching westerns. I watched one recently. John Wayne, it was a military campaign, and some new recruits came in. And uh, the soldier, uh, the sergeant, was talking to these recruits and kind of painting a nice picture for him. John Wayne came out and said, this is hard, you know, and as John Wayne could. I can't remember everything that he was saying in it, but letting them know that this is no picnic that you're going to be involved in here as part of this army. And so us as well as Christians. There is that aspect of the Christian life is very real warfare. True Christianity is a fight. It's a fight against real enemies. We know that. Satan is that enemy. Ephesians 6, we're encouraged, and Paul encouraged the believers there, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8, we're commanded to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's how real it is. You know, we go through our day, hey, things are pretty good today, you know. And we get a string of days like that, and before you know it, we're not really sober-minded. We're not really being watchful. We're not really thinking that, Man, Satan's out there like a roaring lion, even though things look so nice and calm here today for me in my life. He's still out there seeking someone to devour. What am I doing? I need to be alert here today. There's a warfare going on, and I have a very real enemy in Satan. And that real enemy is doing that a lot through this present world system. The other enemy in what that we have, Romans 12, too, Paul wrote about that. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't let yourself be pressed into the mold of the world's way of thinking and doing things so that you don't live this holy, transformed life that the Spirit of God is working to produce and live out through you. Again, we're going to have to be alert here. Don't let this world system 
press you into its mold so that now you're taking on the appearance and actions more of this world system than of the real world that you're a part of as a citizen of heaven. The world system says, yeah, we have a supreme being, but it is the self. I am the God. I am the one that rules over my life. I am the one that makes the call. Yeah, I have a standard, but it's not the standard that you put out there as the word of God. It's my own thinking, my own desires. I make the, the standard. I set the way in which I would go. In reality, that leads to destruction. His heart rages against the Lord, rages against the truth, the sweet, the wise counsel that God provides for him that will bring the way of salvation and the flourishing life. Makes no sense, but that's what's going on in the world system. We know it. We live in it. Is, is trying to press us into that mold of thinking and doing things. But then also, the, the enemy within us called the flesh, the element of sin that remains within us, that opposes the indwelling Holy Spirit and points us to the path of unholy living. The enemy that really seeks to destroy our soul. It doesn't say that. It try and makes its way seem pleasant and good. But in reality, it's very deceptive. In fact, Peter warned the people he wrote to about that as well. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He's trying to bring back to them the reality of what they're experiencing. These desires that seem so pleasant and that are trying to bring a convincing, bring them to a convinced conclusion of, okay, I don't really need to live as a Christian in this world system now because any time I do it just brings me trouble. You know, I can acquiesce a little bit here. What difference is that going to make? No, he says, the flesh is seeking to destroy your soul. That's the thought we need to bring to mind when we sense these desires that that produce these kind of thoughts that lead us in a way that is in opposition to the wisdom of God. Now, wait a minute. That's the flesh, and it's out to destroy my soul. Am I going to listen to that? Am I going to follow that way? I have to understand, if I follow that way, it will ruin my life. And so Peter is helping them understand. This is a very real conflict. We have very real enemies, and we need to be alert to the ways of the enemies as we move through our day. Ryle writes in his book again, This Christian warfare is no light matter. He says it's a fight of absolute necessity. No one can claim to be neutral. There's no middle ground, no riding the fence in regard to this. It's you're either here or here. You're either with the Lord, following the Lord, or you're not. No middle ground. It's a fight of universal necessity. Everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ is in the warfare. Young, old, rich, and poor, the battle may have different look for various ones, but we all must fight 
We all will be in the fight different ways. We all fight the enemies in different ways, but we're still in the fight. It's there. He says it's also a fight of perpetual necessity. It admits no breathing time, no armistice, no truce. It takes place, truce, it takes place on weekdays as well as on Sundays. So we don't think, oh, we're sitting here this morning, no battle this morning. You tell me about that. Is your mind seeking to wander over here and there, and you're thinking of this individual you have a conflict with, and you all know what I'm talking about. The battle is always there, and we need to be prepared for the battle that's there. But it's also, it's a fight of faith. And that's good. It's not, maybe there will be victory faith. Maybe I can overcome faith. It's not a leap in the dark faith that really has no firm foundation, no real source of confidence. It's not a pull myself up by my own bootstraps faith. I can do it if I try, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. No, no, that, that's not... That's not how we do this conflict, as the world might want to press you into its mold and say, you can be whatever you want to be, you know. You can overcome it, and don't try it. It's fought by faith, faith being a confident trust in this triune God, God the Father. Hebrews 11:6. without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's going to be those times and times of temptation that you're tempted to to think and act like God is not there and that his counsel is not good counsel. Anytime we're tempted to go in that that direction, it's, it's really that temptation to to believe that God does not exist as he declares he exists in his word. God is not omniscient. He doesn't know what's going on. God is not omnipresent. He is not here, so on and so forth. God is not immutable. You know, he'll overlook this. Now, instead of being a holy God, it can't overlook sin. Certainly he'll overlook this that I do. All kinds of ways in which we can deny that he exists as it reveals in the scriptures, but don't believe it. He exists as the holy God, Psalm 99.9. For the Lord our God is holy. He exists as the almighty God, who is the king of glory, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. I mean, on and on we could go in the scriptures with so many verses that would, that would encourage us in the time of battle. We're seeking to live out holiness. Our God, the Lord, he is holy. We're looking for someone that can help us in the battle. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. All these reassurances that we bring to bear in our lives and in our minds that increase our faith in the conflict, faith in God, that he truly does exist as he reveals himself in the word. All that we need to fight the fight for holiness is found in him. 
What he started, he's well able to finish. But faith in Jesus Christ, God the Son, the one who was sent by the Father to give his life a ransom for many. We've focused on this already a little bit. As it says in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. There's the price that had to be paid. He was the one that was willing to enter the battle. Not to be served, but to serve. Truly, indeed, we will serve him. But he didn't come to be served. He came to serve, even to the extent of giving his life a ransom for many. Faith in that one, Jesus Christ. Faith in the one who fought the fight on the cross and said in John 19.30, it is what? Finished. That's a glorious declaration for those of us who are in this fight for holiness. We're not seeking to accomplish it all in and of ourselves. It's a fight that he fight, fought. It's a fight that he fought. And one that he finished. We're just taking acquisition of it by faith through his power and the work of the Holy Spirit and living it out. Faith in the one who is the good shepherd and protects his flock so that none can pluck them out of his hand. Need that kind of encouragement in the conflict? Faith in the one who one day will come back for his own and receive them unto himself. That where he is, they may, they may be with him also. Need that kind of encouragement in the time of conflict? Hasn't deserted us, left us alone. He's coming back. I'll receive you. I'll make sure you're, you're here with me. Faith in him. Faith in the Holy Spirit, the one who fights against our sinful flesh. You read about that in Galatians 5. The one who reassures us, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You ever need that kind of reassurance in the battle? In the time of conflict? Maybe the time in the battle when yeah, you, you've fallen, you've made those wrong choices, you've entered the folly of the foolish man. Your own salvation as a, uh, as a member and reality as a member of the child. And a child of God's family is brought into question. The Holy Spirit comes along with some reassurance. Now, wait a minute. You didn't enter this family because you lived holiness. You entered this family by faith in Jesus Christ. You're part of this family by union with Jesus Christ. I need that kind of reassurance at times. The Holy Spirit is there. Entering the fray with me. He's one who prays for us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what, we, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You've been there. We're struggling. Sometimes you don't even feel like praying in that time of conflict. The Spirit of God is there. Praying for you. Preserving you. Enabling you to continue on in this time of conflict. He's carrying out his ministry faithfully as we're going through the warfare. I wouldn't be able to continue in this fight without such intercessions by the Holy Spirit. He's making on my behalf, but also faith in him as one who is indwelling presence secures us to the end of the fight. Ephesians 1, in him, Christ, you also 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession it to the praise of his glory. Wow! You know, what soldier on the battlefield wouldn't want to enter the fight and the, the fray of the battle with a reassurance that uh, you're guaranteed to get to the end of this fight? You, you can't be lost. You, you mean I can go into this battle and I'm not going to perish? That's right. Well, so it is with our spiritual walk and our life in Christ, our union with him, the Spirit of God being that guarantee, being sealed with the Holy Spirit, establishing that confidence that we have that I will be there at the end of the conflict and be with him. But faith in the written word is the sword of the Spirit that we can take up. God's word, it's living and it's active. It's the power of God into salvation, on and on. Go to Psalm 19 and see all that the word of God does. Now, I can be confident in this life because what I'm building my life on, this way of holiness, isn't something that I made up, that, hey, it's just truth for me. It might not be true for you, but it's true for me. No, it's the standard of the one living holy God that he's given to me for life, even in a life in a world of conflict where I live as a foreigner, foreigner and a stranger, a sojourner. I can trust his counsel and his wisdom. Faith in the written word. Well, let's move on. It's a fight of faith. <clears throat> in which others have laid down their lives. <clears throat> we go to Hebrews 11, we can read of those, but there are others in the scriptures as well. But in Hebrews 12, too, we see these people who have been the ones who've laid down their lives in this conflict for holiness and living out holiness, followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Christ. They've provided a witness for us that we can observe, that we can see, so that we wouldn't draw back either, but let us also lay aside every weight, just like they did. The sin which clings so closely, that's letting us know the conflict, the kind of terminology that he's letting us, identifying for us as we're in this fight Lay aside every weight, the sin that clings so closely. And instead, let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Any runner knows that it's a conflict. When you're running a race, uh, the conflict against the pain, the tiredness, and all the elements, the track, the course, the people, the other runners, the conflict is there even for the runner. And he has to keep on. He has to keep on. He can't give heed to the, all the elements and people that would, would, are calling for him to stop, to quit. But he must continue on and finish the race, the conflict. But it's also a fight of faith in which we fight for the faith of others. What we need to be careful of is we, we shouldn't think that we fight for our own individual joy of living out holiness. We do that, certainly. 
But we also do it for others as well. Even unbelievers. Those who are still in the domain of darkness. Those who need to hear the gospel in order to believe and be delivered out of that domain of darkness just like we were. So that they as well can be brought into the kingdom of the Son that God loves. We recognize the enemy has them. They're in bondage to the enemy, such as was the case for every one of us. But someone came alongside, was, was willing to step in to the battle where we were and to bring us the good news of the gospel that we needed to hear and believe in order to come out of that domain of darkness. You got unbelievers that you're willing to fight for? To enter the fray and declare the good news to? And not draw back in fear? I mean, that's the way the conflict is, right? The guy's out on the battlefield, you know, in danger. We hear of those who received the Medal of Honor. Why did they receive that medal? They were willing to put their lives in danger for the sake of somebody else. I mean, if you want to take it back to a, a football uh, theme, which is so much less than the battlefield, but, I mean, the guy running with the ball doesn't get there on his own. He got so many blockers blocking the way before him and helping them along, making progress. You don't win a game by yourself. You win it as a team. And so it is with the way of holiness for each one of us as individuals. If you think you can make and live the way of holiness on your own, you are deceived. It takes a body of believers for each one of us to to enjoy the holiness that is ours by union with Jesus Christ. And that's what our next point is. Uh, Are we in the fight for holiness for believers as well, those who are in the fight for holiness with us? Do we stand alongside our fellow soldiers, helping them in conflict? Jesus, again, is the chief example of service on our behalf. Paul also set the example that we could follow. He says, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad, and I rejoice with you all. How come I'm the one that's got to do this, you know? Leave it to somebody else. I'm too old now. It wasn't said. He saw someone in the fight and came alongside. I'm just saying you've got to do everything. (laughs) Uh, But there's something you can do to help someone in the fight. Pray for somebody. Uh, Either individually or corporately. Enter the fight. Um, I have to admit, I admitted to somebody Wednesday night, this lesson helped me Wednesday night. And I'm not one that likes to pray publicly. I mean, it's a fear of man thing more than likely on my part. But as I was sitting here and all church prayer meeting Wednesday night, Pastor Jason was looking for somebody to volunteer. I'm sitting there, oh, I don't want to volunteer. I don't want to pray publicly. And the thought of the lesson came to my mind. I said, your opportunity to enter the fight. Sorry. Okay, let's keep going. Um, 
So we fight on behalf of someone else. Anyways, I thought of this lesson that, okay, raise your hand, I'll pray for so-and-so. Um, even saying that makes me think, oh, now I'm going to have to volunteer next time as well, you know. <laughs> See, the battle goes on over and over again for all of us in different ways. Well, Timothy also was involved in this fight on behalf of others. Paul said, I have no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Boy, what a testimony. Or how about Onesimus, who in his past life lived a life selfishly, Man's own heart, man's own folly ruins his life. That was Onesimus. But he came to Christ through the Apostle Paul, his witness there in prison. And uh, Paul, who describes himself as an old man, now a prisoner. You know, I can relate to that. Maybe not a prisoner, but the old man part. Older and older. There Paul was. He needed help, someone to help him. God providentially brought Onesimus uh, alongside. And... uh, for Onesimus is good, certainly, but for Paul's welfare as well. And now Paul was sending him back as a different man to Philemon. So we fight for holiness together. We need to look in what ways am I fighting for someone else's holiness? In what ways are you fighting to help someone live out a new holy life in Christ? Your children, your wife, your husband church member, on and on, on we could go. But then Ryle says, it's a good fight as well. And I start out with this, it's, it's a good fight because it's fought for the highest purposes. The glory of God and his holiness. Listen to this, as the angels proclaim his holiness in the heavens in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What a glorious sight that must have been to be able to hear that. The angels declaring that, exalting God for his holiness, And they proclaim his holiness as those who have not experienced the redemptive love of God. We have even greater reason to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We do it certainly in in how we speak and live in this foreign land that needs to see the transformative power of God on display even as they saw it in the lives of the believers in Thessalonica. So we fight for the highest of purposes. But it's a good fight because it's fought under the best, as, as Ryle says, the best of generals. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith. And that's what we need to do. So we're going through this conflict there, there may be brothers and sisters that fail us, but Jesus doesn't fail. He's a faithful commander who fought the fight, went before us, achieved the crown, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look unto him. He's the one that we can look unto. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Uh, What soldier doesn't have greater respect for the general who's been through the fight? He knows what the fight is like. He's not asking us to proceed in the battle and, and face something that he didn't face, such as our great high priest. He endured the conflict. He understands we can follow him because he's a sympathetic high priest. And in answering the question of who or what event in this world might separate us from the love of Christ, our commander, Paul says, no. In all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, you want confidence in the conflict, look to the commander of Jesus Christ. But it's a good fight because it's fought with the best of promises. Second Peter 1, 3, and through, 3 through 4, his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Why? So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, holiness, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. I mean, you know how much you rely on what God has said in his promises. As you move and progress through the day, the days of conflict, you draw upon his promises so that you can can enjoy the reality of the divine nature that is yours in Jesus Christ and overcome the sinful desires of the past life. We do that when we focus on the promises, the truth that is ours. Well, there's other promises there as well, we'll skip Hebrews 13.5, John 6.37. It's a good fight because of what God produces in us. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. I mean, that's everything that people are looking for in life that is brought out as a fruit of the Spirit in the life of, of a believer. We can rejoice. The way of holiness is this. What we long for is this, the way of holiness, the fruit of the Spirit. In Paul's testimony, he talked about, formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, one in opposition to God, but his life changed. I received mercy, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. To the King of the age, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See what it produced in his life. This is not a man who is a sorry follower of Jesus Christ. This is a man who recognized that everything he had in the past, now in his new life in Christ, in comparison, is rubbish. And he had what was, what was seen as fantastic in his culture. And he lists what those things are. Well, let's finish. It's a good fight because it ends in a glorious reward. My time is gone to all who fight it. First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then 1 John 1, 2, Beloved, we are now God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Holiness. Done. Complete. Because we shall see him as he is. Well, the application, just general terms, and love for God and his glory and your joy in knowing him. Fight for holiness. Help others fight for holiness. And fight to the end. Never, ever give up. Let's pray. Great God, we're humbled this morning that we can even come to you, the holy God, and call you Father. Enter into the very throne of God. We recognize we can do that because Jesus fought the fight on our behalf. And because your ongoing work of salvation, you awakened us out of the dead and drew us unto Jesus Christ. And we give thanks that even though we, we continue on in the conflict here, that you will bring us to the end when we will see our Savior face to face. So help us in the meantime to fight the good fight of faith, Father, and to help one another do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.